Hebrews 10.25. So I'd like for you to visualize this day, this service, and this message um, for us. I would like for you to visualize yourself as part of something really important like a team. Maybe a football team that's trying to make it to the Super Bowl, and you're in the middle of a game called 2019. And we've got wins and losses. We've done some good things, and there are some areas of weaknesses. If in your business you've ever done a SWOT analysis, we want to look at our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That's kind of what we do at our church. We don't just say God is good and we're happy and pat each other on the back. We do all of that. We also say, what do we need to do as a church to really reach our full potential in Jesus Christ? And if we have areas of weakness, then let's not just kind of push them aside. Let's meet them head on. Let's address them. And let's make the adjustments because God's church is destined to win. Amen? I want to be a part of that winning team because his team will prevail at the end of the game when the final score is taken at the end of human history. The church of Jesus Christ will be triumphant and Jesus Christ will be King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. So let's walk it out from here to there. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Our subject today is connect. You can be seated. We live in the most connected culture in human history. I don't have to prove that to you. I know you already know it. And some of you have sneaked a peek at news or a Facebook feed or an Instagram post or a tweet that came to your phone while I've been preaching or talking and while we've been worshiping and maybe somebody sent you a text message or you looked at your email, whatever that is. That's almost obsolete, right? But anyway... The increases of technology in our culture have made it possible for us to connect to anyone almost anywhere in the world in a matter of seconds. You can connect to family, friends, the 24-hour news cycle feed. You can get it instantly. And as grandparents, we love being able to FaceTime Justin and Teresa so we can see Rhett and Warren. We like Justin and Teresa, but we really like to see Rhett and Warren over in Mississippi. Brother DJ spoke recently about 12 ways your phone is changing you. And literally, technology has changed the way we think and probably the way we process information. It certainly changed the way we communicate with one another and with our world. When God made us, He gave us an innate need to be connected to other people relationally. I'm talking about real human beings that you can see eye to eye. But paradoxically, the more connected our culture has become, the more insulated many people are in real relationships. And this is a verified sociological reality. I read an article in Forbes magazine when I was preparing to write the article about this over a month ago that you would have read in the June Messenger. 
And they ask the question, have we become so overconnected that we've become disconnected? They said, watch a group of teenagers, maybe even your own kids. It's mind-numbing their need to be digitally connected with people outside the group they're sitting with physically. You're at dinner, and everyone is there, but everyone is somewhere else. But not at the same time. They're physically here, but digitally, emotionally, there. Now, this scripture is an interesting scripture because it it tells us that we need to highly value gathering together corporately as a church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more, even more, as you see the day approaching. Now the miracle of God's word is that God knew the end from the beginning and he can write about 2019, 2,000 years ago. He could tell us 2,000 years ago what our culture would be like today. He could tell us that in the last days perilous times would come. He could tell us that people would be lovers of their own selves, disobedient to parents. There would be a general spirit of sacrilege and irreverence in the last days. And we don't have to say, wow, that's our day. And he said that even then, and a whole lot more now, people have this idea that they don't need to get together in church. Now, I recognize that you're sitting here physically in the house, and I'm preaching to you about coming to church, and you're here. Thank you. And I recognize there are people on vacation, people around the world that watch our services online. And welcome to the online audience. I hope that you couldn't get to church today. That's why you're watching right now. Amen. But you see, because God knows the end from the beginning, He dwells in one eternal now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever as Brother Jury preached about recently. He knew that this spirit of isolation would be trending in the last days. And he addressed it then so we could address it now, not just in a sermon across a pulpit, but in our own lives so that we do not let real relationships die among us because we live or die by those we're connected to. You're blessed or cursed by the company you keep, and you're cursed if you're all alone. So it's important to be connected. The Bible addresses this. And he told us that there were people then and there are people now who minimize the value of corporate worship, of getting together. And they believe that they can have just as much of a relationship with God sitting at home alone with their Bible and a praise CD on or a Spotify as they can by sitting in church with other people of like precious faith. Now the Bible is clear that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that he dwells in the praises of his people, Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. And we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We're thankful unto him and we bless his name. And when we gather together like this, like now, the presence of the Lord is here and he demonstrates his power where he reveals his presence. That's why we've been passionate about the glory 
of God. The writer of Hebrews gave us this call to connect in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. And I've mentioned it and requoted it, but you can see it on the screen so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you know what's cool about the Bible? Is the Bible doesn't exist by just randomly connected verses. But every passage in the Bible has a context. It has a setting. And when the Lord inspired the writer of Hebrews to lay this out, it wasn't just a single verse injunction to say that you need to go to church. He told us some things about our own spiritual growth and how attendance in church and connecting to a local church contributes to your own spiritual health and well-being and ultimately to your salvation. In Hebrews chapter 10, we learn that Jesus Christ was the ultimate, supreme, and final sacrifice for the sins of the world, that he offered himself once for all, and that because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered our lives, we can have boldness to come into his presence by a new and living way by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the ability to come into the presence of the Lord because he is a high priest over the house of God forever. And he consecrated this access through the veil of his flesh that was torn for us on the cross. So now those of us who are once on the outside can come into the presence of the Lord and experience Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of sins. That's why we can say hallelujah for the cross, by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been set free. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. There are three phrases in the next three verses that set up verse 25. And I want you to see them because they're very important in your personal devotion with God and also in your corporate understanding of why we even come to church. So because Jesus died, because his blood was shed, because you have access to him, then the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 22, let us draw near. Don't let past sins, don't let the feeling of guilt, don't let condemnation drive you away from God. But because the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life, now draw near. Come closer to him because you have access to him. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is an allusion to water baptism in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost that comes in your life to give you the power of God and to cleanse you from sin, to actually make you holy. So because of those promises, he tells us, let us draw near. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You used to be alienated by your sins, but now you're welcomed into the family of God. So don't stand on the outside looking in. Just press your way to the table of God and draw near to Him as close as you can get to the presence of God. Let us draw near. And then He tells us, let us hold fast. So we're going to draw near and then we're going to hold firm the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. Verse 23, 
let us hold fast. Let us draw near, verse 22, let us hold fast. In other words, he said, because you can get a grip on your walk with God. Because you've had access to him, draw near to him and grab hold of the relationship with God and don't let go. There's some interesting scriptures in the Old Testament about binding the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. That old altar had corners with horns that were literally there. And a sacrifice was laid there and tied to those corners of the altar so it wouldn't get away. So can I tell you that by prayer, by devotion, by private and corporate worship, there are things that you do that tie yourself to the altar of God that allow you to wrap your hands around a relationship with God. I want to encourage you today to get a grip on your walk with God. Amen. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Get a firm grip on God. Now, it's hard to do if you're loosely connected to a church. If you're loosely connected to Jesus, if you don't know what you believe in, what you don't believe, but this whole idea of faith is a firm grip on your faith. That you know what the Bible says and why it says it. That you're not just living by some demand that's made from a pulpit by a pastor. But you're walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you talk to him and he talks to you. And his word becomes life in you. And you're changed by the Holy Ghost. Because you've got a grip on your walk with God. Amen. Bind yourself to that altar. Grab hold of your walk with God. Make sure that you take time privately and publicly to walk with Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that in the last days, a lot of things are going to be shaken. There's something that cannot be shaken. It will, it will remain, and it is the kingdom of God. It is the church. There's a lot of people that are shaking right now. Their faith is shaking. Their belief system is shaking. Their cultural values are shaking. But I'm talking to people today, and I'm encouraging you to get a good grip on your walk with God so that when this world is on fire, when this world is shaking and convulsing in the end time, that your faith is not shaken. Jesus said to the apostle Peter, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. Get a good grip. Get a good grip on your walk with God. Double-minded people are unstable in all of their ways, James said. They don't know what they believe. They can't make up their mind about what they're asking for in prayer. They're ambivalent about everything, so they're wishy-washy. They're like a, a wave of the sea that's been driven by the wind and tossed. A wave toss wave, a wind toss wave, not just a tidal wave or a wave that rocks along with, with the force of gravity and the changing of the moon, but a wave that is blown by the wind. There are some people whose spiritual lives have disintegrated like a wave of the sea that is driven by the wind and tossed, but there are other people that have anchored in Jesus Christ. They've got a firm grip on their faith and no matter what goes on around them, their faith is not shaken. The Apostle Paul said that there are some people that are blown around by every wind of doctrine. Some new idea comes to town. Something is advocated in the culture and they jump on that like the latest thing in town. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and the writer of Hebrews would tell us to get a good grip on your faith. Don't be soon shaken in mind, the Bible says. 
You see, disconnected people who devalue corporate worship become vulnerable in letting go of their faith. They don't have a good grip on their walk with God. So I want to encourage you today. Everybody please say, draw near. And hold fast. Get close to God and hold on to Him for dear life. Verse 24. Let us consider one another. Now this is interesting. It's going to set up verse 25. So it's good for you to draw near. It's good for you to get a grip on your faith. But hey, wait a second. You're not in this alone. So not only do I want to draw near to God, not only do I want to have a firm grip on my faith, but I should care about yours. How's your grip on truth? I go to church not just so I can be connected to people relationally, but so I can go to heaven with them forever. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that we should consider one another to provoke or motivate, to encourage, unto uh, love and good works. Now I recognize that while you're sitting here today, that you're looking at me or a screen or your phone and the back of other people's heads. We've come to worship the Lord, but we've come together. And this scripture is very clear that we need to think about the welfare of other people. How is my neighbor doing? How is the person that shares the road with me? How are they doing today? What about the people that are in my section? There are people that are connected to our church by family, by close friends, and there are other people that are not so very connected to our church, and it is something of a great concern to me because connect is my message today, and it is about you connecting, but it is about us connecting other people to this local church so they can be connected to the spiritual body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul would talk about us that gathering are gathering together unto him. See what this really is today? This is a rehearsal. In Old Testament Israel, they blew the trumpet and everybody got together. Three times a year, all the males from all over the world were required if they could get there to go to Jerusalem for a festival. So we kind of blow the trumpet and we say 9 a.m., 11.30 a.m., Wednesday, 7.30 p.m., we're blowing the trumpet and we're assembling together. But all of that is a gathering that is a rehearsal for the day when the trumpet will sound and the body of Christ is going to be gathered together off of this earth, we're going to be gathered together to Him, together forever. Well, I don't know how you are, but I really want to go to heaven. And I really don't want to go to hell. I don't think anybody really wants to go to hell, but their citizenship papers and their behavior mirrors the character of people that will go to hell. So you can't live like the devil and go to heaven. But we've been called out of darkness. We've been called into this marvelous light. 
And we've also been called into a relationship with Jesus Christ and also a relationship with one another. There's a lot of one another's in the Bible that I'm not going to get in today to encourage one another. We're here not just for ourselves, but the Bible says right here that we are to consider one another. This might be good right now. If you don't mind, please turn to your neighbor and just say, consider one another. <laughs> now tell them this, I'm going to provoke you. <clears throat> And that your neighbor just said back, you do that all the time. What's new? <laughs> King James' word provoke means to motivate, encourage others to love and to good works. Because that's what we do. We're not just here to be saved ourselves. We're here to help others go to heaven too because I don't want to go alone. Amen? So here's a concern. Halftime 2019. My concern is that 50 people could get baptized here and they get converted, but they never get connected. They got converted and connected to Jesus Christ spiritually, but they never got connected to a local church. And if I'm going to draw near hold fast and provoke one another, encourage one another to consider one another. I have to do that in the context of a local church, a congregation of other people who are trying to go to heaven just like me. And I want to say this for you. If the Lord has saved your soul here, I'm glad you are converted but I want to encourage you to connect to this local church. Find your place in this body of Christ. You desperately need to be connected so you can go to heaven. But if you've been here a while, consider one another so you can motivate them to love and good works. The Bible said that the Lord sets the solitary in families. That means we need to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. Now, I know this goes both ways, that if a man would have friends, he must show himself friendly. If you duck your head and dive in and dive back out, you're probably never going to be connected relationally. If you don't participate in life group events, you may never get connected relationally. And we hope to do a better job of correcting that this coming fall, and I'll talk about that more in the month of August. So this goes both ways. I have a responsibility to connect, but I also have a responsibility to be a connector of other people to this local church so they can go to heaven. Because it is tragic for someone to get converted and then the church will not allow them to get connected. Frozen out, us four no more. There was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of the church, a Jewish man. He hated Christians. He thought that they were trying to destroy his faith. So he persecuted them. He watched them martyred. He went from city to city, throwing them in jail. And then he got arrested 
himself by Jesus Christ on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. And Saul of Tarshish, who is breathing out threatenings and slaughters, humbled his heart before God, turned from his sins of repentance, was baptized in Jesus' name, spoke in other tongues. He said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. He was a changed man. His name was even changed from Saul to Paul. And so he went to Jerusalem to go to church. And when he got there, because they were so afraid of him, because of his resurrection, instead of being, because of his persecution, instead of him being accepted, he was rejected. They stiff-armed him. Oh yeah, this is just a ruse. It's a trick. He's trying to get on the inside so he can identify us and persecute us. I understand why Saul had a rough time in the beginning of his walk with God, why he was not connected. But God forbid that a person would get converted, but it was impossible for them to get, to get connected to this local church because instead of an embrace, they got a stiff arm. I hope we're a long way away from this. But they're not the same color as me. They're not the same culture as me. They're not the same age as me. They're not on the same socioeconomic strata as me. They don't have a good, as good an education as I do. I don't really, I'm a shy person. I want you to understand today that my message is that we need to connect new people to this church so they can be connected forever to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And that is everybody's responsibility. Shy people, you introverts, you can, you can smile a little bit, shake a hand. <clears throat> and I just want to say that if you're blessed, if you're blessed with a circle of friends or family members that go to this church, not because you're a bad person, but you will have a tendency to associate with those people because you're comfortable with them. That's not evil, it's not a sin, but you have a circle and that's wonderful. But why don't you open that circle? Why don't, you don't have to invite everybody in because you can't do that at once, but why don't you invite someone in? Someone in. Set the solitary in families. <clears throat> Amen. I've had people tell me through the years, <clears throat> I came to Atlanta West, you know, but I'm really more comfortable in a small church. And I'll say, well, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with small churches as long as they're not intentionally small. As long as they're not small by design and want to stay that way. As long as they don't have the doors locked for new people to be saved. And as long as they have a vision for growing and reaching people, that's good. And I've said to people before, if you went to church and there were 50 people in the church, how many church people could you know? And they would say like 50. <clears throat> and that would be it, right? 50 people. But you probably wouldn't really know 50 people really well because you probably don't have 50 close friends. 
If you do, God bless you. Most people have a handful, and they say, if you do, then you're blessed. But I like to say, you know what, if you come to Atlanta West, if you take the average attendance this year, you have 755 choices of who you can be friends with, not 50. You've got a lot more choices. You're going to find more people like you. And the reason I'm saying that is not to brag on our church or to make an excuse, but it is to take something away from people who say, well, the church is too big. But the church is made up of people just like you, just like me, who need to be connected in relationships. And it's partly your choice, and it's partly our choice. Amen? There's deep conviction settling over the congregation right now. You see, here's the cool thing about this. If you're connected in a congregation, you have a lot better chance of drawing near, a lot better opportunity to hold fast, and you can encourage other people because you're not living in a silo by yourself. That's what our text said. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much, but exhorting one another to do what? To be in church, to go to church, to be connected. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, assembling of ourselves together. Now, just so you'll know, this verse is not talking about a small group. It's not talking about going to Waffle House together. It's not talking about getting together in a little Bible study, which is good. I'm all for all of that. But this scripture is talking about corporate worship. The root word from the Greek is implying an assembly, an intentional organized gathering like a church service. Because the Bible says that the manner of some is to minimize the value of going to church when we really should go to church more as we see the day approaching. And I don't necessarily, it means we go to church three days a week, four days a week, five days a week, six days a week, and then seven days a week when we think the Lord's coming is really near. But it does mean that we value this more and more. There's something that's happening in American churches. For many churches, Wednesday night is no more. This church, when I became pastor, 24 years ago next month, had, did not have a night service. We had an afternoon service. We have two services in the morning. We feel like we accomplish our mission of evangelism and discipleship. We do not have a Sunday night service. We really never have for 30 years probably, and that's okay. There's nothing sacred about a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. What is sacred is that our message is preserved and our mission is preserved. <clears throat> So I'm not preaching for or against a certain service structure, but I'm just telling you what's happening. Wednesday night has gone away. Sunday night is dying out in many, many churches, and they just can't get enough people there anymore. And then Sunday attendance, well, what is regular Sunday attendance? I grew up, it's like this. It's Sunday. You go to church. Like, what's so hard to figure out about that? It's Wednesday night. You've worked all day. You've gone to school all day. You're going to get up and do it again tomorrow. Got four kids that have got to go to school. You go to church on Wednesday night. That's how I was raised. But in our culture, it has changed because people 
are not so much the more valuing going to church. Now, people who answer surveys and say that they go to church on a regular basis, that means maybe two times in a month. Seriously, I'm not making this up. This is not an anecdotal comment. It's a survey of many, many people, hundreds of people that say these are my patterns of going to church. So I just want to say to you that the Bible very clearly stands in the face of that and says, don't let you in your own life Forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, I thank God for vacations. I hope you enjoy yours. And when we can get one, we're going to take a vacation. I'm not against that. But there are lots of reasons why people have quit going to church on a regular basis. And maybe it's because they do not see the day approaching. They've lost sight of the return of Jesus Christ. So going to church is like going to a club or go, I'm not being a bad club, going to the, you know, a club or being a part of the gym or, or you're just hanging out with friends there, but you've forgotten why you go to church. You go to church so you can go to heaven. And the Bible, the New Testament, does not know a church that doesn't have a local church of real people. It does not know a church that you go to by yourself. It doesn't exist in the Bible at all. And I know you're here. So you at least somewhat believe that, right? Then the Bible says something really concerning. In verse 26... For if we sin willfully, this is all in the same passage. After we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth the more sacrifice of sins. If you reject the blood of Jesus Christ, if you reject the life of a church, if you know that this is in the Bible and this is the way you should live and you sin willfully, there's nothing else. There's no more Calvary. There's no more blood sacrifice. And there's no other plan of God on the earth but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the church that he instituted and he purchased with his own blood. This is why we're connected to a local church. Common cause of my own salvation and your salvation and also so we can help other people be saved. Now, let me just share a few things about what's happening in our country. Researchers say that one of the reasons people don't go to church very often is because of affluence. They travel more and they do other things on their precious weekends. And I don't say that sarcastically because weekends are precious to people who work a normal five-day work week or six-day work week or 10 hours a day or whatever you might do. But then they say that some families have a higher value on sports and other activities for their children than they do worship and Christian education. When it comes right down to it, if they're in soccer or they're in this or that, they put those things ahead of church because that's what's more important to them. Then they say that there are convenient online options. Welcome to our online audience. But if that's the only way you go to church and you can go to a local church, then I want to preach to you today while you're watching online. Shame on you. Connect to a local apostolic church, okay? That's what you need to do. Thank you very much. You can also give online. <clears throat> After you've just been insulted, whatever. I'm, I'm not joking, but I'm joking. I'm not trying to be mean. You understand what I'm saying? And then there are people who feel like that their faith is a self-directed. They're, they're on a self-study. 
You know, it's like going to college online. They never see the person, the professor in person. They never sat in a classroom. I'm not preaching against that either. But a church is not like that. A church is warm body people either going to heaven or hell and they're trying to go to heaven so that's why they connect to Jesus Christ. They're converted but then they're connected to a local church because they see the day approaching. And when we allow other priorities, too much travel, too much money, too many other priorities in our life, to just kind of choke out the life of God. Isn't that what the Bible said? That the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of life will choke out the life of God. But we see the day approaching. So we value this more and more. I have some accountability questions. Do you really grasp the gravity of this verse? 1025 of Hebrews. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you realize that the coming of the Lord is near and that the closer it gets, the more committed we should be to Jesus Christ and his church. I want to ask, you, ask yourself a couple questions. Just, I'll ask them, but just ask these of yourself. How many times a month do I attend church service on Sunday? How many times a month do I go to church on midweek? And do I feel that our school-aged children, including teenagers, need to receive practical teaching and experience the connectedness of being in church on midweek, or do we think there are other things that are more important? Now, I've learned that guilt trips don't help anybody, so I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, but I am trying to help you think. For some people, midweek service is impossible. But impossible is different than inconvenient. Okay? Question, does our family value school, community, and family activities more than faithful church attendance? And then what do I consider as valid reasons for missing church? Ingrown toenail? We used to call it a Holy Ghost excuse. Stay home for a reason that the Holy Ghost wouldn't convict you over. Some people have seared their conscience, so that doesn't work for them, right? And do I feel that being connected to the local church is, is more important or less important than it was in the past. As you see the day approaching. I want to assure you today that this is not a motivational speech about church attendance or church growth. This is a Bible message that the Lord gave us for our salvation, for your own spiritual health, and so that you can make a difference in the life of someone else. Would you bow your heads right now, please? And thank you for bearing with me in a long day. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now for the wonderful people who are listening to my message today that is from your word. I pray, oh God, today that you would help us. If we need a wake-up call, wake us up. 
If we need to be stirred in our souls, Lord, then stir our souls. If we need to adjust our priorities, Lord, back to the values of the Bible, God, then I pray that you would let us make those adjustments. I'm concerned, Lord, as a pastor, about the spiritual trajectory of people in this church whose very solar system has shifted, Lord, where at one time you were the center of their lives. But now, Lord, you've been moved to this circumference and their lives orbit around job or family or school or other activities. And today I pray, Lord, that we would move you back into the center of our lives because, Lord, anything less is truly idolatry in the strictest sense where you are no longer Lord of everything we are and everything we have. I pray, Lord God, for the spiritual future of the people in this church. And I pray, oh God, for those that are going to get converted here in our altars, that you would help us also be a church that would connect them relationally to us so they can continue to be connected to you. And I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And every predator knows that the easiest way to make another animal your meal is to get it cut off from the herd or the flock. If we can just, if we can get that person to feel out of place like a misfit, if we can get their feelings hurt, if we can get them to be offended, if we can make them feel like they're not like everybody else, maybe it's their own internal struggles that they've had for a long, long time. If we can make them feel like they don't belong and we can kind of isolate them. And if we can isolate them, then we can destroy them. My message today is to help you connect to Jesus Christ through his body on the earth, the local church. And that the Lord would help us. It could never be said that someone was converted here, but they could not get connected. Let's open our hearts. Let's make some changes in our lives. Let's make this the most inviting environment on the planet. Would you please stand? The writer of Hebrews also penned another verse in this same book. Hebrews 13, 10, he said, we, we have an altar. One of the most beautiful things that happens in this church is when people walk out of their row and they walk down to a place to pray together. We're no longer looking at the backs of another person's head. 
We're standing side by side in a place of prayer. Everybody wanting to go to heaven. Everybody needing help and encouragement. Everybody needing to connect. This morning in our first service in the altar, I felt just such a compelling burden of prayer that there was somebody there this morning that was like a do or die time. I don't necessarily feel that right this moment, but I do feel so keenly in my spirit that we've got to get this. So would you come to the altar, a place where we meet Jesus Christ? Would you step out from where you are and let's gather here right now. Amen.